Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. is I'm going to go through this lesson called the common denominator of success. And I want you to just like, you could, you're totally free to make notes or, or whatever, but really just take in this speech. This speech was given by a man. His name is Albert Ian Gray. Uh, he did this. He did this speech in 1940 at a national, uh, uh, a national, um, uh, at the NALU, I forget the NALU, what it stands for, National Something and Life Underwriters, Association of Life Underwriters in Philadelphia. It was basically given to a group of life insurance salesmen. And the idea is what is the common denominator of success? Because the common denominator of success is a belief. It is a belief. You're going to see that as I go through this, what it does is it eliminates chaos. It brings order. It tells you what to do. And it shows you what to focus on. And I think it's a great setup with the idea of only choose what would be wholly fitting for God for you for this next week. Okay, here we go. The common denominator of success is a timely and inspiration is as timely and inspirational as it was when it was first delivered in 1940. Though it was written for life insurance professionals, its message is equally suited for anyone in the sales or business profession or anyone in a field of endeavor who seeks success in their own professional, personal or spiritual lives. This inspiring message by Mr. Gray is one of the most timeless pieces of life insurance literature. It first appeared as a major address of the 1940 NALU annual convention in Philadelphia and has been available to association members in pamphlet form ever since. Although our author has passed away, his words of wisdom, his moving philosophy so manifests in the common denominator of success. They're a part of the current life insurance scene and have real meaning in today's professional uh, environment. Several years ago, I was brought face to face with the very disturbing realization that I was trying to supervise and direct the efforts of a large number of people who were trying to achieve success without knowing myself what the secret of success really was. And that naturally brought me face to face with the further realization that regardless of what other knowledge I might have brought into my job, I was definitely lacking in the most important knowledge of all. Of course, like most of us, I had been brought up on the popular belief that the secret of success is hard work. But I had so many men work hard without succeeding, and so many people succeed without working hard, that I had become convinced that hard work was not the real secret, even though in most cases, it might be one of the requirements. And so 
I set out on a voyage of discovery, which carried me through the biographies and autobiographies of all sorts of dissertations on success and the lives of successful people until I finally reached a point at which I realized that the secret that I was trying to discover lay not only in what people did, but also what made them, uh, what made them do it. I realized further that the secret for which I was searching must not only apply to every definition of success, but since it must apply to everyone to whom it was offered, it must also apply to everyone who had ever been successful. Now think about this. In short, I was looking for the common denominator of success, and because that is exactly what I was looking for, that is exactly what I found. But this common denominator of success is so big, so powerful, and so vitally important to your future and mine that I'm going to make a speech about it. I'm going to lay it on the line in words of one syllable so simple that everyone can understand them. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every man or woman who has ever been successful lies in the fact that they form the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. Now, we just talked about paradigms as being habitual beliefs that we do in our life every day. They form the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. It's just as true as it sounds, and it's as simple as it seems. You could hold it up to the light. You could put it to the acid test. You could kick it around until it's worn out. But when you're all through with it, it will still be the same common denominator of success, whether you like it or not. It will still explain why men have come into this business of ours with every apparent qualification for success and given our most disappointing failures, while others have come in and achieved outstanding success in spite of many obvious and discouraging handicaps. And since it will also explain your future, it would seem to be mighty good idea if you use it in determining just what sort of future you're going to have. In other words, let's take a big all-encompassing secret and boil it down to fit the individual you. If the secret of success lies in forming the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do, let's start the boiling down process by determining what are the things that failures don't like to do. The things that failures don't like to do are the very things that you and I and other human beings, including successful people, naturally don't like to do. In other words, we've got to realize right from the start that success is something which is achieved by the minority of people and is therefore unnatural and not to be achieved by following our natural likes and dislikes, nor by being guided by our natural preferences and prejudices. The things that failures don't like to do in general are too obvious for us to discuss them here. And so since our success is to be achieved in the sale of life insurance, let us move on to the discussion of the things that we as life insurance uh, salesmen don't like to do. Now, here's the thing. This, it doesn't matter that this was given for life insurance. This is for all business because all business comes down to sales. Okay. So it, I don't, don't get the life insurance thing stuck in your head. Um, 
Here too, the things that we don't like to do are too many to permit for specific destruction, uh, discussion. But I think they can all be disposed of by saying that they all emanate from one basic dislike peculiar to our type of selling. We don't like to call on people who don't want to see us and talk to them about something that they don't want to talk about. Any reluctance to following a definite prospecting program to use prepared sales talks to organize time and to organize effort are all caused by this one basic dislike. Now, I'm hoping that even for those of you that aren't in business, you can see whatever it is that you need to change in your life, there's things that you're avoiding doing because you don't like to do them, right? So you can plug in anything there. It's the thing that you don't like to do. It's the working out. It's the exercising. It's the running. It's the eating healthy. It is cleaning up a relationship. It is saying no. It is saying yes. It is spending money where it needs to go. It's calorying your day. It's studying. It's asking for what you want. It's making the sales. It's talking to strangers. Right? It's anything that we look and we experience as being uncomfortable in the moment. Perhaps you have wondered what is behind the peculiar lack of welcome on the part of prospective buyers. Isn't it due to the fact that our prospects are human too? And isn't it true that the average human is not big enough to buy life insurance on their own accord and is therefore prone to escape our effort to make him bigger or persuade him to do something he doesn't want to do by striking out at the most important weakness we possess, namely our desire to be appreciated? Perhaps you have been discouraged by feeling that you were born subject to certain dislikes that are peculiar to you, with which the successful people in our industry and our business are not affected. Perhaps you've wondered why it is that our biggest producers seem to like to do the things that you don't like to do. They don't. And I think this is the most encouraging statement that I've ever offered to a group of people before. But if they don't like to do these things, then why do they do them? Because by doing these things that they don't like to do, they accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. Successful people are influenced by the desire for pleasing results. Like ding, 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 okay? They're influenced by the desire for pleasing results. Failures are influenced and failures are influenced by the desire for pleasing methods and are inclined to be satisfied with such results as can be obtained by doing things that they like to do. So successful people want pleasing results. Failures want pleasing methods. They want to feel good doing what they're doing. Why are successful people able to do things that they don't like to do while failures are not? Because successful men have a purpose strong enough to make them form the habit of doing things that they don't like to do in order to accomplish the purpose that they want to accomplish. Do you see, do you see something here? Form the habit. So we're breaking habits and we're forming habits. That's not comfortable for anybody. Nobody likes to do that. No wonder I get emails from some of you who are like, I'm exhausted. 
Yeah, because you're fighting everything that your mind is saying, you know, oh my God, that's a lot of work. Don't do that. It's going to be uncomfortable. But, you know, all that chatter going on in your head. Sometimes even our best producers get into a slump. When a person goes into a slump, it simply means that he has reached a point at which for the time being, the things that he doesn't like to do have become more important than his reasons for doing them. And may I pause to suggest to you, uh, for those of you that are, say, business owners out there, that one of your good produce, when one of your good producers or salespeople goes into a slump, the less you talk about their production and the more you talk about their purpose, the sooner you will get them out of the slump. So instead of talking to a person about what they're not doing, but talking about where they're going, right? Like visualize. Many men with whom I have discussed the common denominator of success have said it at, at this point, but I have a family to support and I have uh, I have, a, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a family to support and I have to have a living for my family and myself. Isn't that enough of a purpose? Now that's a damn good question. I remember the first time I read this and I got to this part. I felt like the author understood my dilemma, right? Because it seems like, what do you hear in your head when you read that? Oh, if, if you were a good person, you would do it anyway. If you loved your family, you would do it anyway. If you were responsible, you would do it anyway. And I had never seen that, that plight addressed in literature the way he was just bluntly addressing it right here. Isn't that enough of a purpose? His response is, no, it isn't. It's it isn't a sufficiently strong purpose to make you form the habit of doing things that you don't like to do for the very simple reason that it's easier to adjust ourselves to the hardships of poor living than it is to adjust ourselves to the hardships to make a better one. I mean, come on. How many, how many people do we see do this? We see whole sections of society do this. This is why people stay stuck in a ghetto. They've adjusted themselves to poor living, and it's easier to stay there than it is to adjust themselves to the habits of creating a different one. If you doubt me, just think of all the things that you're willing to go without in order to avoid doing the things that you don't like to do. Now we understand why coupons and sales and discounts work so much. They're appealing to this side of a person's personality where they don't have to go out and do more to get what they want, but so that they can get it easier. All of which seems to prove that the strength which holds you to your purpose is not your own strength, but the strength of the purpose itself. Now let's see why habit belongs so importantly in the common denominator of success. Men are creatures of habit, just as machines are creatures of momentum. For habit is nothing more or less than the momentum translated from the concrete into the abstract. Can you picture the problem that, that would face our mechanical engineers if there were no such thing as momentum? 
speed would be impossible because the highest speed at which any vehicle could be moved would be the first speed at which it could be broken away from a standstill. By the way, like my Bentley goes from like zero to a hundred in like four seconds. It's, it's incredibly fast. I don't know why I threw that in there. Just it resonated. Okay. Got to have some fun, right? Elevators could not be made to rise. Airplanes could not be made to fly. The entire world of mechanics would find itself in a total state of helplessness. Then who are you and I to think that we could do with our own human nature what the finest engineers in the world could not do with the finest machinery that was ever built? Every single qualification for success is acquired through habit. I sure hope you're writing that word down, whether you like it or not, right? We can, we can deal with if you don't like it later, but write it down. Men form habits and habits form futures. People form habits and habits form futures. If you do not deliberately form good habits, then unconsciously you'll form bad ones. You're, you are the kind of person you are because you have formed the habit of being the kind of person that you are. And the only way that you can change that is through habit. The success habits in life insurance selling are divided into four main groups. So these, these are four groups for any business. Four groups for any business. Very important. Number one, prospecting habits. Number two, calling habits. Number three, selling habits. Number four, working habits. The great thing about this is that if you look at any area of your life, doesn't have to be business, you could probably break it down into four habits for success. Three or four habits for success, for whatever it is that you want. Let's discuss the habit groups in their order. Any successful life insurance salesperson will tell you that it's easier to sell life insurance to people who don't want it than it is to find people who do want it. But if you have not definitely formed the habit of prospecting for needs regardless of wants, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of limiting your prospecting to people who want life insurance, and therein lies the one and only real reason for lack of prospects. As to calling habits, unless you have deliberately formed the habit of calling on people who are able to buy but unwilling to listen, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of calling on people who are willing to listen but unable to buy. As to selling habits, unless you've deliberately formed the habit of calling on prospects determined to make them see their reason for buying life insurance, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of calling on prospects in a state of mind in which you're willing to let them make you see their reason for not buying. As to working habits, if you will try to take care of the other three groups, the working habits will generally take care of themselves because under working habits are included study and preparation, organization of time and efforts, records, analysis, etc. Certainly, you're not going to take the trouble to learn uh, interesting and rousing approaches and sales talks unless you're going to use them. You're not going to plan your day's work when you know in your heart you're not going to carry out your plans. And you're certainly not going to keep an honest record of things that you haven't done or, or of results that you haven't achieved. So, so 
let's not worry so much about the fourth group of success habits for if you're taking care of the first three groups, most of the working habits will take care of themselves and you'll be able to afford uh, an assistant to take care of the rest of them for you. But before you decide to adopt these success habits, let me warn you of the importance of the habit in your decision. I have attended many sales meetings and sales congresses during the past 10 years and have often wondered why, in spite of the fact that there is so much good in them, that so many people seem to get so little lasting good out of them. Perhaps you've attended a sales meeting in the past and have left determined to do things that would make you successful or more successful only to find your decision or determination wanting and just and uh, I'm sorry, waiting at just the same time when it should be put into the effect or practice. Here's the answer. Any resolution or decision that you make is simply a promise to yourself. It isn't worth a tinker's dam unless you form the habit of making it and keeping it. And you won't form the habit of making it and keeping it unless right at the start, you link it with a definite purpose that can be accomplished by keeping it. In other words, any resolution or decision that you make today has to be made again tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next and so on. And it not only has to be made each day, but it has to be kept each day. For if you miss one day in the making or the keeping of it, you've got to go back and begin all over again. But if you continue the process of making it each, uh, each morning and keeping it each day, you will finally wake up some morning a different person in a different world. And you'll wonder what the hell happened to you and the world that you used to live in. Here's what has happened. Your resolution or your decision has become a habit. And you don't have to make it on that particular morning. And the reason for, for your seemingly like a different person living in a different world lies in the fact that for the first time in your life, you have become the master of yourself and the master of your likes and your dislikes by surrendering your purpose in life, surrendering to your purpose in life. That is why behind every success, there must be a purpose. And that is what makes purpose so important to your future. For in the last analysis, your future is not going to depend on economic conditions or outside influences or circumstances over which you seem to have no control. Your future is going to depend on your purpose in life. So let's talk about purpose. First of all, your purpose must be practical and not visionary. That does not conflict in what we've been teaching. Okay, He's thinking about your purpose must be practical, not just a visionary purpose. Okay, Just so you're not confused. Some time ago, I talked with a person who had thought that he had the purpose, which was more important to him than income. He was interested in the sufferings of his fellow humans, and he wanted to be placed in a position to alleviate that suffering. But when he analyzed his real feelings, we discovered, and he admitted it, that what he really wanted was a nice job dispensing charity with other people's money and being paid well for it, along with the appreciation and the feeling of the importance that would naturally go with such a job. But in making your purpose practical, be careful not to make it logical. Make it a purpose of the sentimental or emotional type. Remember, needs are logical while wants and desires are sentimental and emotional. Your needs will push you just so far, 
But when your needs are satisfied, they will stop pushing you. If, however, your purpose is in the terms of wants and desires, then your wants and desires will keep pushing you long after your needs are satisfied and until your wants and desires are fulfilled. Recently, I was talking with a young man who long ago discovered a common denominator of success without identifying his discovery. He had a definite purpose in life, and it was definitely a sentimental or emotional purpose. He wanted his boy to go through college without having to work his way as he had done. He wanted to afford, I'm sorry, he wanted to avoid for his little girl the hardships which his own sister had uh, in, in the face of her childhood. And he wanted his wife and the mother of his children to enjoy luxuries and comforts and even necessities which had been denied his own mother. And he was willing to form the habit of doing things that he didn't like to do in order to accomplish this purpose. Not to discourage him, but rather to have uh, him encourage me, I said to him, aren't you going a little too far with this thing? There's no logical reason why your son shouldn't be willing and able to work his way through college just as his father did. Of course, he'll miss many of the things that you missed in your college life, and he'll probably have heartaches and disappointments. But if he's any good, he'll come through in the end just as you did. And there's no logical reason why you should slave in order that your daughter may have things in which your own sister wasn't able to have, or in order for your wife to enjoy comforts and luxuries that she wasn't used to before she married you. He looked at me with a rather pitying look and said, but Mr. Gray, there's no inspiration in logic. There's no courage in logic. There's not even happiness in logic. There's only satisfaction. And the only place logic has in my life is the, is the realization that the more I'm willing to do for my wife and children, the more I shall be able to do for myself. Imagine after hearing the story, you won't have to be told how to find your purpose or how to identify it or how to, how to surrender to it. If it's a big enough purpose, you will be big in its accomplishment. If, it, if it's an unselfish purpose, you will be unselfish in accomplishing it. And if it's an honest purpose, you will be honest and honorable in the accomplishing of it. But as long as you live, don't ever forget that while you may succeed beyond your fondest hopes and your greatest expectations, you will never succeed beyond the purpose to which you're willing to surrender. Furthermore, your surrender will not be complete until you have formed the habits of doing the things that failures don't like to do. Isn't that cool? That is such a great, that is such a great piece of truth right there. And I'm really glad I had the opportunity to share it with you. Okay. So take that idea, forming the habit of things that you don't like to do, and ask yourself, how can you break those habits this week? How can you, how can you embrace the things that you don't like to do this week and do it with enthusiasm? And really make it a lot of fun. Because as we go through this, what we want to do is we want to deepen our belief. We want to stretch our faith. We want to step out and make bigger and bolder declarations for our life. And I think if you do that, you'll start to see really exciting results. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.